So occasionally, I like to get down to the, like the Rogue River, Applegate River, and especially if I'm with my grandkids, I like to look for some smooth stones to skip. That's kind of a thing we work on, skipping. And if you can find the right stone, and if the river's not too rough, you can, uh, if you get just a great skip, you can skip, 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 and then hopefully, the coupe de garage, you hit the bank on the other side. You know, you kind of have this thing. That's the perfect skip. So we're going to do that tonight. We are going to kind of skip, 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 boom, hopefully, kind of a boom at the end. We're going to cover not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, but seven, oh, seven chapters of Exodus tonight. So you better be in prayer for this guy and listen well, okay? Listen good. Because if we don't get through Exodus sometime soon, we're going to have an Exodus, I think, for some of you. And it's an amazing book. There's, there's, there's so much we could talk about in the seven chapters that I'm going to skip, 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 skip over, skip on tonight. But hopefully you'll grab some things, particularly at the end. Because um, what happens in these seven chapters, it's chapters 25 through 31. If you want to turn to chapter 25, that would be great. Um, what happens in these chapters is really, really important in our understanding of the nature and the character of this God that we love and serve. But to lay kind of a foundation, because <clears throat> we're going to go so fast, I'm just going to touch some things. <clears throat> I want, I want to throw, throw a short video at you. Somebody the Bible Project. Love these guys. Tonight we're going to have some videos, some pictures, because the picture's worth a thousand words. We're going to need it all, right? Let the pictures do the talking. So... Check out this Bible Project video just to lay a foundation for where we're headed tonight. The first half of the book of Exodus tells the story of ancient Israel being rescued from slavery. And when people say the Exodus story, those are the chapters they're referring to. But the book has a second half where Moses gives the Ten Commandments to Israel along with these instructions about building a sacred tent. And what links these two halves together is this crucial story. The people of Israel, they're out in the middle of nowhere. They find themselves at the foot of this mountain called Sinai. And here, God's presence comes dramatically down in the form of a violent storm cloud. Now let's stop a second and talk about this concept of God's presence because it's really important for the rest of the book. At the beginning of the Bible, in the Garden of Eden, humanity was in God's presence presence, they had this close relationship with him and it was good. But humanity rebels and the relationship is fractured and access to God's presence is lost. But God promised Abraham that he would restore his blessing to all of the nations. And that includes this restoration of relationship and access to God's presence. So here at Sinai, God's presence is now right here in front of them. And it's actually quite frightening. And he's here to invite Israel into this unique and close relationship with him. And the word used to describe this relationship is covenant. It's like a legal agreement between God and Israel. And it's unique because up till now, God hasn't asked Israel to do anything in return, just to trust him. But here on this mountain, God is going to ask Israel to do something. A lot of things, actually. He gives them a whole set of laws. that It includes the Ten Commandments. And if they obey these commandments, they will become the people who will represent God to the nations of the world. Like a priest would. Yeah, in fact, that's what God calls them to become, a kingdom of priests. And this is all connected back to the promise to Abraham that his family would become a blessing to the nations. Okay, but obeying these laws is going to be difficult because 
There's a lot of them, and they set a really high standard. Though if you think about it, I mean, of anybody in the world who should be able to do it, I mean, it's these people who experienced firsthand God's grace and his power when he rescued them from slavery. And, and they agree to obey the terms, but then they refuse to go into God's presence because it's, well, it's still a bit frightening. And since the people won't go up, Moses goes up to the mountain by himself to meet with God. But God still wants to be with all of his people. And so he says, okay, if the people won't come up here to me, I'll come down off this mountain to be with you all. And that's why he orders Moses to build this elaborate tent as a place where God's presence can be among his people. And that's why the next thing we get is seven chapters of extremely detailed architectural blueprints for this tent. It's really, really really long. But every detail is important and has some kind of symbolic value. For example, there's all this Garden of Eden imagery inside the tent. And it's to remind you that when you're in the tent, you are in God's presence. Then we get another six chapters describing how they built the tent, which is really just repeating the same blueprints word for word. So there you have it. That's a little bit of a... I should let those guys just keep talking. I think we'd all be so good if they would just keep talking. But... So God loved Adam and Eve. And he loved that relationship he had with them in the garden. He would walk with them in the cool of the day. But sin broke that. Sin always breaks relationship with God. And so here for the first time since Genesis 3, God is coming down to his people. He wants to be, he can't keep himself from being in their presence. But it's so different now. Because sin because sin has changed things. So what God has to do to, have, to be able to be in the presence of his people, which he longs for as he, he creates this tabernacle. It's just an amazing place, and it's Eden-like on the inside, the way it's upholstered and the way the curtains are. We can't get into all that tonight, but it's, it's kind of like Eden. But because of man's per continued propensity to sin and break God's covenant, God has this tabernacle built, which we'll talk about. Really, so, and in, in that tabernacle, God's full presence would be in that Holy of Holies, that 15 by 15 foot area over the mercy seat. But because of the nature of the fallen nature of man, he, he had to be contained in there. Men couldn't approach him. Just once a year, a high priest, once a year, Day of Atonement, once a year, could enter into that Holy of Holies. So, and also, men had to be kept safe from God. They, there was curtains, there was things to keep men from wandering where they shouldn't. So let's pick it up in, it said Genesis, or Exodus 25, but let's start the verse before. Let's take the last verse of chapter 24, which is verse 18. And we'll just read about eight or so verses, nine verses. So here's what it says. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution from me. And this is the contribution you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze. Blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. Goat's hairs, tanned ram skins, Goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones, and stones for the setting, for the ephod, and for the breastpiece. 
And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all its furniture, you shall make it. So the Lord asked for a free will offering from all the people. And you remember, they were slaves. They were servants to the Egyptians. They didn't have anything. But if you remember the story, the plagues, right before they left, somehow God put it in the hearts of Egyptians who had been beat to pieces by that point to give to the Hebrews, to the Israelis, a, like, a, like gifts. They actually put favor in the, in, the eye, in the eyes of the Egyptians towards the Hebrews. And so all this stuff that they're going to give right now, that came really from the Egyptians. That's Egyptian gold. <laughs> That's Egyptian onks. Those are Egyptian spices. It's interesting to me. But I like that one saying, from every man whose heart moves him. That is always the best way to give, isn't it? As your heart moves. We have so many opportunities to give, not just money, but to give ourselves. That's really what God wants the most. And it's always so good if that comes from a heart that's moving within us. So God says, build a tabernacle. So this is what we're going to do. We're gonna, the first thing we're going to look, we're going to another short video of the tabernacle. It's that tent, that portable tent that these guys would have to, that this nation would have to at times pack away, carry to the next stop, and reassemble. It had to be movable. It had to be packable. So look at this short, short video on the tabernacle, how it was made. Make the tabernacle from 10 sheets of fine linen. These sheets are to be decorated with blue, purple, and scarlet yarn with figures of cherubim skillfully embroidered into them. Each sheet must be 42 feet long and 6 feet wide. All 10 sheets must be exactly the same size. Join five of these sheets together into one set. Then join the other five sheets into a second set. Put loops of blue yarn along the edge of the last sheet in each set. The 50 loops along the edge of one set are to match the 50 loops along the edge of the other. Then make 50 gold clasps to fasten the loops of the two sets of sheets together, making the tabernacle a single unit. Make heavy sheets of cloth from goat hair to cover the tabernacle. There must be 11 of these sheets, each 45 feet long and 6 feet wide. All 11 of these sheets must be exactly the same size. Join 5 of these together into one set and join the other 6 into a second set. The sixth sheet of the second set is to be doubled over at the entrance of the sacred tent. Put 50 loops along the edge of the last sheet in each set and fasten them together with 50 bronze clasps. In this way, the two sets will become a single unit. An extra half sheet of this roof covering will be left to hang over the back of the tabernacle and the covering will hang down an extra 18 inches on each side. On top of these coverings, place a layer of tanned ram skins, and over them, the layer of fine goatskin leather. This will complete the roof covering. That's called the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. It's not a big place. 45 feet long, 15 feet wide. 45 feet long, 15 feet wide. The first two-thirds of it, 15 by 30 was called the holy place, 
And the last 15 by 15 area, a big veil in between the two, was called the Holy of Holies. And this tent of meeting, this tabernacle, had to be kind of cordoned off from the rest of the camp. Millions of Hebrews were surrounding this place. So they had to build a curtain. That's a big curtain to make a border. And so it, it, this, this curtain, when it was set up, created a court around the tabernacle to protect the people. The curtain was to protect the people from coming in, getting too close. So these curtains were all linked together. They were a fine twine linen, the Bible says, and they were attached to each other so as to make a wall. And so one wall of the court was 150 feet long and then 75 feet across, in rough terms, 150 feet this way. And at the east end, it was configured in a way that people could enter in through that curtain pretty easily. The curtains were seven and a half feet high, and it just created a fence, a portable fence. And so when you would walk in, so you have the tabernacle, at the, it'd be at the west end of this court, and you have these curtains around, you could walk in the east end, the first thing you'd see, the first thing you'd see was this bronze altar. And this bronze altar is where all the sacrifices were made. It was made of acacia wood, which was fairly common, and it was overlaid with bronze. It was about seven and a half feet square. It wasn't huge. Seven and a half feet square, about four and a half feet high. And I'll tell you what, it was a hot, bloody job at the altar. All day long, all day long, all week long, all month long, all year long, sacrifices would continually be brought to be burned on that altar to cover the, the people's sins, to atone for their sins. So that's the altar. And then as you walk towards that tent that we looked at, um, right before you walk into the Holy of Holies, inside those curtains, you'd pass the bronze basin. It kind of looks like a big birdbath. And that's a place where the priests would, and the high priest, the priests and the high priest would wash their hands and wash their feet um, before they entered into the holy place or before they did uh, sacrifices on the altar. And it was really important to God that they wash their hands and their feet often. If they didn't, when they should have, this is what Exodus 30, 21 says. This is God. They shall wash their hands and feet so that they may not die. <laughs> that's, a, that's a serious thing going on here. I mean, you got to wash your hands for COVID stuff, but this is way past that. You know, if they didn't wash their hands, this is, it's, it's very regimented. I, I, I'm picking up on this. There's a certain way, if God's presence is going to be amongst his people, that he has to be approached, that he has to be dealt with. Um, so if you walked past that bronze basin into what's called the holy place, inside that curtain tent, if you look to your left, you would see what's called the golden candlestick, or it's often called the menorah. So the, only the priest could go in there. They'd walk into that holy of holies, and to the left would be this candlestick. It was about five feet, maybe five feet, three inches tall, according to um, kind of Jewish oral tradition. It was made from 75 pounds of pure hammered gold. It, was, it would simply provide light. It provided light for the holy place. It was dark in there. And so to have light to do some things, they had to have this golden candlestick. So it was on the left. You'd walk in that place. On the left would be the golden candlestick. And facing it directly across from it 
would be what they call the table for bread um, or the table of showbread. And on it uh, would be, it was, it was made of acacia wood and covered in gold. It was about three feet long, wasn't big, maybe a foot and a half wide, two and a quarter feet tall, wasn't big at all. And it would hold 12 loaves, 11 loaves of bread. 12 loaves of bread representing the what? The 12 tribes of Israel. And every Saturday, every Sabbath, they'd take out those old loaves, a week old, and they'd put in new loaves. And then, so, th- so that's this way, that's this way. And then straight ahead of you, just before you enter into the Holy of Holies, going through that veil, would be what's called the altar of incense. And so it was, it, there Aaron the high priest would burn incense every morning and evening. And that incense was a special formula that could only be used at the, at the, uh, at the altar of incense. So a special formula of incense. So th- those are the pieces, but it leads into this last and most important piece of furniture, really. So then you could go th- past the uh, altar of incense. You, 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 you'd go into that last curtain, and, and the only thing you'd see would be the Ark of the Covenant, which is where the presence of God would dwell, the Ark of the Covenant. Not like Indiana Jones stuff, but... It's, it's, it, it was beautiful. It was made of acacia wood, covered with gold. Um, at the top of it, there was what they call the mercy seat. And that's where the presence of God would dwell, right over the mercy seat. And then there were these golden angels, these cherubim, facing each other, facing the center. And they had wings that covered their eyes and covered their feet and and so once a year, Aaron, and, and, well, I should say this, inside of that ark, inside of that ark, there were some things. There were, there were the Ten Commandments written in stone by the finger of God. The law of God, the law that, that God gave Moses in those 40 days and 40 nights in the mountain, that was in there. There was this uh, miraculous, miraculously preserved uh, manna, little bowl of manna, remember? from earlier on in Exodus, manna, which means what is it? That's what kept them alive all these years. And there was Aaron's rod, his um, mysterious budding rod. That Aaron's rod was in there too. But only one time a year, again, the presence of God was there. But if everything was done right, if everything was done right once a year, the high priest could enter into there and approach that Ark of the Covenant, where the presence of God dwelt. And I don't know what that would have been like, but I think it would have been intense. And he would burn incense, and he would, he would take the blood, and he would just touch the mercy seat and hope he can get out alive. I don't know if they did it from the beginning, but later on they would tie a rope to the high priest's legs. So just in case it didn't go well, you didn't keep killing people going inside to get him. You could drag him out. The powerful presence of God. In the holy of holies. It's amazing. Exodus 25, 22 says this. There, at that place, at that mercy seat, I will meet you. And you, there I will meet you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony. I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. And I'm just so thankful, I know you are too, that it wasn't a judgment seat. It was a mercy seat. It was a mercy seat. Merciful God. 
with all that they were doing to just be able to approach him, even once a year, he still needed to extend mercy to them with all that they would do. Merciful, amazing God that we serve, that they serve. So those are the kind of the, if you want to call it the furniture of the tabernacle. And then there were priests, remember? There were priests that actually served in this, in this, in this place, at the altar and inside the Holy of Holies. And I mean inside the Holy Place. So Aaron, Aaron, brother of Moses, was the high priest. He's the only one that could go once a year into the Holy of Holies. But his sons, he had four sons. They were priests too. So just to get a little bit of idea, we're going to run another little short video about kind of how the priests were dressed. This is all part of those seven chapters. Just the garments, again, all specifically uh, spoken to Moses to, to communicate. So let's go ahead and look at that. Your brother Aaron and his sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, will be set apart from the common people. They will be my priest and will minister to me. Make special clothing for Aaron to show his separation to God. Beautiful garments that will lend dignity to his work. Instruct all those who have special skills as tailors to make the garments that will set Aaron apart from everyone else so he may serve me as a priest. They are to make a chest piece, an ephod, a robe, an embroidered tunic, a turban, and a sash. They will also make special garments for Aaron's sons to wear when they serve as priests before me. These items must be made of fine linen cloth and embroidered with gold thread and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. So once those clothings were made for the priest and the high priest, everything, they had to be consecrated. They had to be consecrated. In chapter 29, again, we're not going to look at it really in any way in depth, but it, there was a whole chapter, 29, just of the consecration, what God wanted to see happen to really pronounce them holy. It wasn't so much the garments or the gold, it's that everything was consecrated. Everything was, was, that's the best way to say it. It was just consecrated by God. And it became what it needed to become. It would become a holy thing, you know. You can get a master's degree at a college or a doctorate. And it's, it's, a, it's a special thing. But when you're really a master or when you're really a doctor, is that that ceremony? <laughs> when they read your name and they in all the pomp and circumstance, they, the ceremony gives weight to the degree. It, it's, like, it, it's, it's like baptism. It's water. But the ceremony, it's like you're consecrated. It's, it makes baptism what baptism is. So the consecration was super important. It was very lengthy, tons of detail that would really bore you if I, if I talked to you about it. But it was a super important part of this. So who was going to build all this stuff? Not Moses. Moses was an amazing guy, but he was judging people and leading people. He didn't have the time or the expertise to build all this stuff. So God anointed a man named Be Be Bezalel, 
Bezalel. And it says in Exodus 31.3, God speaking here, I have filled him, Bezalel, with the spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, and with the knowledge of all craftsmanship. So God communicated to Moses all these things that had to happen, but he anointed with the Holy Spirit, which doesn't happen very often, especially early in the, New, in the Old Testament. He anointed him with the Spirit of God. And he, Bezalel wasn't a priest or a prophet. He was just a craftsman. It's just interesting who God chose to anoint with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And he had a helper to do these things. So here's, here's where I hope that rock kind of hits the shore. All that I just shared with you fills just about all of those seven chapters in a nutshell. But here's, to me, the big problem. Everything had to be built. And you'd see these words over and over when you read these seven chapters, according to the pattern that God gave Moses. There was just a certain way that things were to be done, a certain way that things were to be built. And every procedure carried out Day after day, month after month in the tabernacle had to be done a certain way for years and years. If, they, if it wasn't carried out exactly right, people would die. Priests would die. I don't know if you remember in the video, Aaron had four sons. It wasn't very long, and he had two sons. Guess why? Two of them didn't do it right. Two of them didn't do. Nadab and Abihu didn't follow procedure, didn't follow protocol, and God just snuffed them out. So it was, it was an interesting relationship <laughs> they had. God's presence was there, but it was so difficult and so challenging to even get close to him. And the only one who could actually get close to him was that one man one time a year. So big problem needed a big solution. And that's what I loved. That's what we're going to close with talking about for just a couple more minutes. The big problem was there was a God who was there, whose presence was there, but so unlike Eden because of sin. And what happened was somebody, and only God could do this, was the big solution. Jesus came. Jesus came. And we can rejoice that we're not sitting right now in a big tent or around a big tent or coming on a Wednesday night to some court, some tent, some brazen altar. In Luke 24, after Jesus had resurrected, the day he resurrected, he joins up kind of covertly with two of his disciples walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. You remember that story? They were on the road to Emmaus. Jesus just kind of joins them, asks them a couple questions, um, they can't believe that he doesn't know what's going on in Jerusalem. And Jesus kind of takes over the conversation. And listen to what Luke 24, 27 says. Listen to what Jesus said to them. And beginning at Moses, this is all Moses stuff we're talking about, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them, those two disciples, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. See, Jesus is, is figuratively throughout the tabernacle, but he's so, 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 so much better. He's so much better 
than this furniture. He's so much better than this tent. Jesus is better than the continual, remember they always had to have continual sacrifices, constantly sacrificing to atone for people's sins. Romans 6.10 says this, for the death that he, Jesus, died, he died to sin once for all. Once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So because of Jesus, who's so much better, you don't need these constant, constant sacrifices. He said, I'll be, the, I'll be the final sacrifice. I'm the perfect lamb of God. He was the final sacrifice. Brazen altars, unnecessary. Remember that bronze basin that if the priest didn't wash their hands and their feet often enough, they would die? Jesus is better than the bronze basin. In 1 Corinthians 6, 11, it says this, but you were washed, you, us, we were sanctified, you, us, were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of our God. See, Jesus is living water. That little birdbath thing that they had to wash in, Jesus is living water. And we have been washed, sanctified, justified. It's not going back and again and again to the water and doing it right. He is the water. Jesus is better than that golden candlestick. All that golden candlestick lit was a 15 by 30 foot room. (laughs) That menorah just lit up one room. Jesus said this, Jesus spoke to them in in John 8, 12. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. (laughs) He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He's so much better than that candlestick. He's the light of the world. He's better than that little table that was holding the 12 loaves of unleavened bread. In John 6, 48, he says, I'm the what? I'm the bread of what? I'm the bread of life. He's so much better. We are so fortunate, my friends, that we live when we live and that Jesus did what Jesus did. Jesus is better than the altar of incense that was in front of the veil of the Holy of Holies. Ephesians 5.2 says this, and walk in love as Jesus walked in love and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He is, he was, he will be that fragrant offering that God desires, that God requires. No more need for a table of incense. He is that incense. And probably the most important in that Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, which could be approached one time a year by one man. If you want to get near to God, one time a year, one man could do that. Ephesians 2.18 says this, for through him, Jesus, we both have access, total access to God, 24-7. The life that we live, whether we realize it or not, whether we recognize it or not, and that's what I pray we'll do tonight, is so amazing. We're, Moses would not begin to understand the grace that's been extended to us. He would he, he, he wouldn't have words. He just wouldn't have words for what we, probably most of us, often just take for granted. We have this amazing relationship with a God who loves us so much. 
At, at, at Jesus' death, remember what happened to the big veil in the temple in Jerusalem? It was torn, remember? As he died, that veil was torn top to bottom. God saying, I'm out of here. I am out of here. Which is pretty amazing, but what's way more amazing is where he went. Guess where he went. He found some new temples. You, me. Everything that God was in Exodus 25 through 31, God is today. He's this amazing, powerful, holy God. And he says, I'll never go back to a tabernacle or a temple. I have a whole different idea. You guys. He dwells in you. You're his holy of holies now. I'm his holy of holies. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? I just, if that rock that I'm trying to skip hits a bank, it hits, I hope it hits it right here. We are so, so blessed. We have it so good. Total access to a God who's totally in love with us every second of the day. The access that the high priest would have for just minutes, we have every minute of every day. The same God, the same powerful Mount Sinai God dwells in you, dwells in you gladly. We're his temple. And my hope for you and my hope for me tonight as we just kind of skim over seven chapters of what life looked like building and maintaining a tabernacle, that you would walk out of here today going, I am so thankful. I am so blessed. And one day, my friends, soon, it's just around the corner, you're going to see him. And we're going to be like him in a way we can't imagine. No more COVID, no more masks, no more whatever you're wrestling with. So Jesus, we thank you for that. We thank you that you are so much better than Moses and you're so much better than what he had to deal with in that tabernacle. You're so much better than these offerings, Lord. You are that final, amazing sacrifice for sin. And we're thankful, Lord, that you would want to dwell in us. Sometimes I don't imagine we make very good temples, but you stick with us. And you help us, and I'm thankful for that. And I pray tonight, Lord, that you would find us to be a people who are valuing your presence and living in a way, Lord, that honors your holiness in us. Lord, our world is a messy world, and it can capture us and captivate us, Lord. And I pray for all of us tonight, any who are, who are kind of one foot in the tabernacle and one foot in the world, Lord God, that they would be all into you after tonight. That you would have your way in cleansing these temples, Lord, as necessary. We confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse these temples from all unrighteousness. So Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for living in us. Thank you, Lord, that we live when we live. Moses, and perhaps only Moses, would be amazed. I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great evening.